Hello, my friends. This is Nikki. Today we'll be reading from the Poem of the Man God, Maria Valtorta, Volume 1. We'll be discussing the Christ child's dispute in the temple in Jerusalem. And this is when Joseph and Mary had visited Jerusalem with Jesus. He's 12 years old, and they've already headed back home to Nazareth, a long way away. And they realize that Jesus is not with them. And they run back to Jerusalem looking for him. And for three days they look for him. And where is Jesus? He's in the, the great temple in Jerusalem. He is with uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, the sacerdotal caste, and the doctors of the law. And there is uh, a great discussion going on at the time. And I begin reading, Amongst the doctors there is a group headed by one whose name is Gamaliel, and by another old and almost blind man whose name is Gamaliel. And they are discussing with another doctor of the law named Shammai. Gamaliel, surrounded by a compact group of disciples, is speaking of the coming of the Messiah, and founding his observations on Daniel's prophecy, he states that the Messiah must have already been born, because the seventy prophesied weeks, from the time the decree of the reconstruction of the temple was issued, expired some ten years before. Shammai opposes him, stating that if it is true that the temple has been rebuilt, it is also true that the slavery of Israel has increased, and the peace, which he whom the prophets called Prince of Peace was to bring, is quite far from being in the world, and in particular is far from Jerusalem. From the close group of the believers, the clear voice of a boy is heard. Gamaliel is right. There is a stir in the crowd and in the group of doctors. They look for the interrupter, but it is not necessary to search for him, because he does not hide. He makes his way through the crowd and goes near the group of the rabbis. I recognize my Jesus adolescent. He is sure of himself and open-hearted. His eyes are sparkling with intelligence. Who are you? they ask him. I am a son of Israel who has come to fulfill what the law prescribes, he says. His bold and frank reply is appreciated, and it gains him smiles of approval and favor. They take an interest in the young Israelite. What is your name? they ask him. Jesus of Nazareth. The feeling of benevolence fades away in Shammai's group. But Gamaliel, more benignly, continues his conversation with Hel. It is indeed Gamaliel who, with respect, suggests to Hillel to ask the boy something. On what do you base your certainty? asks Hillel. Jesus says, On the prophecy which cannot be wrong about the time and the signs which took place at the time it came true. It is true that Caesar dominates us, but the world and Palestine were in such peace when the seventy weeks expired that it was possible for Caesar to order the census in his dominions. Had there been wars in the empire and riots in Palestine, he would not have been able to do so. And as that time was complete, 
So the other period of 62 weeks plus one from the completion of the temple is also being completed, so that the Messiah may be anointed and the remainder of the prophecy may come true for the people who did not want him. Can you doubt that? Do you not remember the star that was seen by the wise men from the east and stopped over the sky in Bethlehem of Judah, and that the prophecies and the visions from Jacob onwards indicate that place as the one destined as the birthplace of the Messiah, son of the son of Jacob's son, through David who was from Bethlehem? Do you not remember Balaam? He says, A star will be born of Jacob. The wise men from the east, whose purity and faith opened their eyes and ears, saw the star and understood its name, Messiah, and they came to worship the light which had descended into the world. Shammai is glaring at Jesus. Do you mean that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem Ephrathah at the time of the star? Jesus says, I do. Shammai says, Then he no longer is. Don't you know, child, that Herod had all those children born of women from one day up to the age of two years slaughtered in Bethlehem and the surroundings? You who are so wise in the scriptures must know this. A voice is heard in Ramah. It is Rachel weeping for her children. The valleys and the hills in Bethlehem, which gathered the tears of the dying Rachel, were left full of tears, and the mothers have wept again on their slaughtered children. Amongst them there certainly was the mother of the Messiah. And Jesus says, You are wrong, old man. The weeping of Rachel turned into a Hosanna, because there the new Rachel has given the world the Son of the Heavenly Father the Son of His right hand, Him who was destined to gather the people of God under His scepter and free it from the most dreadful slavery. Shammai says, How can that be if He was killed? And Jesus answers, Have you not read about Elijah? He was carried off by the chariot of fire. And could the Lord God not have saved His Emmanuel that He might be the Messiah of His people? He who parted the sea in front of Moses, that Israel might walk on dry grounds towards its land, could he not have sent his angels to save his Son, his Christ, from the ferocity of man? I solemnly tell you that Christ is alive and is amongst you, and when his hour comes, he will show himself in his power. Jesus, in saying these words, has a sharp sound in his voice which fills the air, His eyes are brighter than ever, and with the gesture of command and promise he stretches out his right arm and hand and lowers them as if he were swearing, taking an oath. He is a boy, but is as solemn as a man. Hillel says, Child, who taught you these words? And Jesus answers, The Spirit of God, I have no human teacher. This is the word of the Lord who speaks to you through my lips. Now, I just want to say here that we know that Jesus' mother Mary did teach him, but Mary was raised by the Spirit of God. It was the Holy Spirit who informed her. And if you remember the earlier episodes, you'll remember that even as a little, little toddler, two or three years old, she was speaking Holy Scripture. And Jesus, of course, also had this illuminated mind, being the Son of God. Also, 
he declares for the first time. He says, This is the word of the Lord who speaks to you through my lips. And as we know, Jesus is the word of the Lord. Hillel says, Come near us that I may see you, child, and my hope may be revived by your faith and my soul enlightened by the brightness of yours. And they make Jesus sit on a high stool between Gamaliel and Hillel, and they give him some rolls to read and explain. It is a proper examination. The people throng and listen. Jesus reads in his clear voice, Be consoled, my people. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem, and call to her that her time of service is ended. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare a way for the Lord, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And I just want to interrupt here and say, Who? Who cries in the wilderness? Well, that's Jesus' cousin, John, John the Baptist. And John's service in the world was to prepare the way for the Lord. And then the glory of the Lord came. Now we continue. Shammai says, See that, Nazarene? It refers here to an end of slavery, but never before have we been slaves as we are now. And there is the mention of a precursor. Where is he? You are talking nonsense. And Jesus says, I tell you that the admonition of the precursor should be addressed to you more than anyone else, to you and those like you. Otherwise, you will not see the glory of the Lord. Neither will you understand the word of God because meanness, pride, and falsehood will prevent you from seeing and hearing. Shammai says, How dare you speak to a master like that? And Jesus says, I speak thus, and thus I shall speak even to my death, because above me there are the interests of the Lord, and the love for truth of which I am the Son. And I add, Rabbi, that the slavery of which the prophet speaks and of which I am speaking, is not the one you think, neither is the royalty the one you consider. On the contrary, by the merits of the Messiah, man will be made free from the slavery of evil, which separates him from God, and the sign of Christ will be on the spirits, freed from every yoke and made subjects of the eternal kingdom. All the nations will bend their heads, O household of David, before the shoot born of you, and which will grow into a tree that covers the whole world and rises up to heaven. And in heaven and on the earth every mouth will praise his name and bend its knee before the anointed of God, the Prince of Peace, the Leader, before him who giving himself will fulfill with joy and nourishment every disheartened and famishing soul, before the Holy One who will establish an alliance between heaven and earth, not like the covenant made with the elders of Israel when God led them out of Egypt, treating them still as servants, but by infusing a heavenly paternity into the souls of men with the grace instilled once again by the merits of the Redeemer, through whom all good people will know the Lord and the sanctuary of God will no longer be demolished and destroyed. Here Jesus has mentioned a lot of things, He's talking about the sanctuary of God that will no longer be demolished and destroyed. And what does he mean? He's talking about us. We are the temple of the Lord. The Lord resides within us. 
we will no longer be destroyed and demolished. In death, we will no longer be destroyed because we will rise again and live in eternity in heaven. And he talks about the Redeemer establishing an alliance between heaven and earth. Jesus asked to be born. He asked to come to earth to teach us the true life in God and to sacrifice himself by taking our sins upon him and expiating for us and paying for our sins so that he could once again open the doors of heaven and allow us to be able to return to heaven once again. And, and this is what the Redeemer is. This is what the Savior is, is to save us from sin, to save us from the slavery of sin, to set us free from sin. Now we will continue. Shammai says, Do not blaspheme, child. Remember Daniel. He states that after the death of Christ, the temple and the town will be destroyed by a people and a leader who will come from afar, and you hold that the sanctuary of God will no longer be demolished. Respect the prophets. And Jesus says, I solemnly tell you that there is someone who is above the prophets, and you do not know him, and you will not know him, because you do not want to. And I tell you that what I said is true. The true sanctuary will not be subject to death, but like its sanctifier, it will rise to eternal heaven, to eternal life, and at the end of the world, it will live in heaven. Hillel says, Listen to me, child. Haggai says, The one expected by the nations will come. Great then shall be the glory of this house, and of this last one, more than of the previous one. Does he perhaps refer to the sanctuary of which you are speaking? Jesus says, Yes, Master, that is what he means. Your honesty leads you towards the light, and I tell you, when the sacrifice of Christ is accomplished, you shall have peace, because you are an Israelite without wickedness. Gamaliel says, Tell me, Jesus, how can the peace of which the prophets speak be hoped for if destruction is going to come to this people by war? Speak and enlighten also me. And Jesus says, Do you not remember, Master, what those said who were present on the night of Christ's birth? That the angels sang, Peace to men of good will. But this people is not of good will and will not have peace. It will not acknowledge its king, the just man, the Savior, because they expect him to be a king with human power, whereas he is the king of the Spirit. They will not love him, because they will not like what Christ preaches. Christ will not defeat their enemies with their chariots and their horses. He will instead defeat the enemies of the soul, who endeavor to imprison in hell the heart of man which was created for the Lord. And this is not the victory which Israel is expecting from him. Your king will come, Jerusalem, riding a donkey and a colt, that is, the just people of Israel and the Gentiles. So here he's saying that the donkey represents the Israelites and the colt, the new, the young, is representing the Gentiles. And he continues, But I tell you, that the colt will be more faithful to him and will follow him preceding the donkey and will grow in the ways of truth and life 
because of its evil will, Israel will lose its peace and suffer for centuries and will cause its king to suffer and will make him the king of sorrow of whom Isaiah speaks. So Jesus is saying that he, the Savior, is coming not to rule as a king on earth, not to battle with weapons, not to change the, the laws of man. He's coming as a spiritual king to change the heart of man, to change the understanding of man. And he's saying that the Israelites, they are old in their thinking. Their thinking is attached to the old ways. They're like the donkey. They're stubborn. They're obstinate. They're stuck in the way that they know how to do things. And it will be very hard for many of them to accept the word of the Christ. But the cult, these are the new, the young, are represented by the Gentiles who will come to the new Christianity and will take it and learn from it and spread it around the world. Shammai says, your mouth tastes of milk and blasphemy at the same time, Nazarene. Tell me, where is the precursor? When did we have him? Jesus says, He is. Does not Malachi say, Here I am going to send my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord you are seeking will suddenly enter his temple, and the angel of the covenant whom you are longing for, Therefore the precursor immediately precedes the Christ. He already is as Christ is. In other words, he's telling them he already exists as the Christ exists. But of course, both John and Jesus are still very young. They're, John is probably 13 years old and Jesus is 12. If years should elapse between him who prepares the ways for the Lord and Christ, all the ways would become obstructed and twisted again. God knows and arranges beforehand that the precursor should precede the master by one hour only. When you see this precursor, you will be able to say, The mission of Christ is beginning. And I say to you, Christ will open many eyes and many ears when he comes this way, but he will not open yours or those of people like you, because you will be putting to death him who is bringing you life. But when the Redeemer sits on his throne and on his altar, higher up than this temple, higher than the tabernacle enclosed in the Holy of Holies, higher up than the glory supported by the cherubim, maledictions for the deicides and life for the Gentiles will flow from his thousands and thousands of wounds, because he, O Master, who are unaware of it, is not I repeat, is not the king of a human kingdom, but of a spiritual kingdom, and his subjects will be only those who for his sake will learn to regenerate in the spirit, and like Jonah, after being born, will learn to be born again on other shores, the shores of God, by means of a spiritual regeneration which will take place through Christ who will give humanity true life, true life in God. Shammai and his followers say, This Nazarene is Satan. Hillel and his followers say, No, this child is a prophet of God. Stay with me, child. My old age will transfuse what I know into your knowledge, and you will be master of the people of God. 
Jesus says, I solemnly tell you that if there were many like you, salvation would come to Israel. But my hour has not come. Voices from heaven speak to me, and in solitude I must gather them until my hour comes. Then with my lips and my blood I will speak to Jerusalem, and the destiny of prophets stoned and killed by her will also be my destiny. But above my life there is the Lord God, to whom I submit myself as a faithful servant, to make of myself a stool for his glory, waiting that he will make the world a stool at the feet of Christ. Wait for me in my hour. These stones shall hear my voice again and vibrate, hearing my last word. He's referring to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem at his death on the cross. These stones, he says, shall hear my voice again and vibrate, hearing my last word. Blessed are those in that voice who will have heard God and believed in him because of it. To them Christ will give that kingdom which your selfishness imagines to be a human one, whereas it is a heavenly one. And therefore I say, Here is your servant, Lord, who has come to do your will. Let it be consummated, because I am eager to fulfill it. And here with the vision of Jesus, his face burning with spiritual ardor and raised to heaven, his arms stretched out, standing upright in the midst of the astonished doctors, the vision ends. Here I'd like to talk about how Jesus at twelve already knows his entire destiny. He knows everything. It's not like some people think that it's revealed to him in bits and pieces. He's fully aware. He was aware from the time he was in heaven before he came to earth exactly, exactly what he was coming for. And here at 12, he tries to prepare these doctors of the law, of what to expect from the true Messiah, to expect new teachings, to expect illuminations and changes of the mind and of the heart, and it changes in the way they perceive the law, and to know that he's already aware that many, if not most, will not be able to accept him, and he will give his life up for all of these people for all of their sakes and for the sakes of so many more, uh, like all the prophets do who are stoned and killed by Israel. He says, it will also be my destiny. Now we're going to continue with Jesus' parents when they have realized that he's not with the caravan returning home and what happens. And we continue reading and we see Mary's distress when she realized after the groups of men and women had gathered together that I, Jesus, was not with Joseph. So Jesus is talking to us directly. Mary does not reproach her spouse bitterly. Every woman would have done so. But the pain that appears on Mary's face pierces Joseph's heart more than any bitter reproach. Mary does not give vent to dramatic outbursts, but her repressed sorrow is so obvious. She starts trembling, her face turns pale, her eyes are wide open, and thus she arouses pity more than any outburst of tears and cries. She is no longer tired or hungry, 
and yet the journey was a long one, and she has not taken any food for so many hours. But she leaves everything, the bed she was preparing, and the food which was ready to be handed out, and she goes back. It is night, it is dark, it does not matter. Every step takes her back to Jerusalem. She stops the caravans and pilgrims and questions them. Joseph follows her and helps her. A long day's walk back to Jerusalem, and then the feverish search in town. Where, where can her Jesus be? And by God's provision for many hours, she will not know where to look for me. To look for a child in the temple does not make sense. What could a child be doing in the temple? At most, if he had got lost in town, and his little steps had brought him back there, he would have cried for his mother, and thus would have attracted the attention of people and of the priests who would have taken the necessary steps to find the parents by means of announcements left at the gate. But there was no announcement. No one in town knew anything of this child. Beautiful, blonde, strong, there are so many like that. It is too little to enable anyone to say, I saw him, he was there or there. Then, after three days, the symbol of three other days of future anguish, Mary, exhausted, enters the temple, walks along the yards and the halls. Nothing. She runs, the poor mother, whenever she hears the voice of a child. Even the bleeding of the lambs give her the impression that she hears her son weeping and looking for her. But Jesus is not weeping. He is teaching. All of a sudden, from beyond the barrier of a large group of people, she hears his voice saying, These stones will vibrate. She endeavors to make her way through the crowd and succeeds after much effort. There is her son, standing in the midst of the doctors with his arms stretched out. Mary is the prudent virgin. But this time anxiety overcomes prudence. It is a hurricane that demolishes everything. She runs to her son, embraces him, lifting him off the stool and putting him down on the ground, and she exclaims, Oh, why have you done this to us? For three days we have been looking for you. Your mummy is dying with pain, son. Your father is exhausted with fatigue. Why, Jesus? You do not ask why of him who knows, why he behaved in a certain way. You do not ask those with a vocation why they leave everything to follow the voice of God. I was wisdom, and I knew. I was called to a mission, and I was fulfilling it. Above the earthly father and mother there is God, the Divine Father. His interests are above ours. His affections are superior to everything else, and I tell my mother. I finish teaching the doctors with a lesson to Mary, the queen of doctors, and she has never forgotten it. The sun began to shine again in her heart now that she had me, humble and obedient beside her, but my words are deeply rooted in her mind. There will be much sunshine and many clouds will gather in the sky during the next twenty-one years I will still be on the earth and great joys and many tears will alternate in her heart during the next twenty-one years. But never again will she ask, My son, why have you done this to us?
So this reference is found in Luke chapter 2 verse 49 when Jesus says to Mary, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And he's telling her that his work here on earth is to serve God first, to be doing God's business. That's what he came for. And that is above all things, above even his love for Mary and Joseph. So, a harsh lesson to learn, but Mary never forgot it and never put herself before Jesus' work and Jesus' business, but always supported him and always supported those who were following him. So that's the end of today's lesson. Uh, I think it's a really important one, a very illuminating one. We learn how Jesus was as a child. We learn how he already knew his destiny and how many hearts would be too hard to accept the new seed that he was planting, the the new way of worshiping God and learning uh, about how God expected us to behave towards each other in order to carry him within us. And yet he would follow his destiny with all the vim and vigor with which he came to earth to, um, to, to serve. So thank you, Lord. And thank you, everyone, for joining me. Please come back for episode 23. Go with God.